Men often struggle with mental health and overcoming their past trauma. And this is a topic that men a lot of times don't want to talk about because it makes them uncomfortable to face what's happening on the inside. Today we talk with mental health expert, best-selling author, syndicated radio show host, Dr. John Deloney. We'll get right into that after this. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. This is the first interview of season six, and we are beyond excited. Uh, Dr. John Deloney is a fantastic conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. But before we do, there's a couple things I want to point out. First of all, we are launching a lot of new things and doing a lot of new things different this season for season six. So I just want you to be aware that there might be some things that look a little bit different, that things might change, and there are some really exciting things in the work. The first thing that I want to tell you about is our Arrows and Iron Brotherhood. And this is a place where you're going to level up as a man. You're going to find the community that you need to help you set goals, break them down into a plan, and then be held accountable to that plan. We're going to work the steps together. It's basically coaching and it's education, and it is encouragement, and it is community all wrapped up into a really awesome package. In fact, there's a few packages so that no matter what you can afford, there's something that you can afford to invest in your life. I'm investing in your life. I want you to invest in your life too. So that is coming soon, a little bit later, but if you want to be the first to hear about it as soon as it's ready to go, I want you to go to manlyhood.com slash brotherhood. And give us your info. We'll let you know as soon as it's ready to go. The other thing we're going to be launching, and this is on a limited run right now, we're going to do a trial run. I partnered together with my friends at Hemp Mafia to create some CBD beard oil. Okay? This is fantastic stuff for your beard. It's got CBD oil in it. It's got cinnamon and peppermint and a few other oils that are actually known to uh, have some antibacterial properties. So it'll keep your beard Clean and smelling clean. You know, beards are actually one of the uh, fastest places on your body that bacteria grow, including E. coli. So I can't promise you I can make your beard clean if you don't wash it, but I can say that this has antibacterial properties and it makes your beard nice and smooth and it's healthy for you. So if you want to get one of these limited run bottles of uh, Manlyhood Apothecary Dirty Beard Wash Beard Oil, Go to manlyhood.com slash store, and you'll have your chance to get that. Enough of promos for right now. We'll uh, talk some more about that stuff later, but I want you to listen to this amazing interview with Dr. John Deloney. You know, men's mental health gets ignored a lot in our society. Um, we think that we just need to man up and deal with it. And I love the words man up, but they mean something different to me than they might to the rest of our culture. You know, men are expected to be tough and emotionally resilient, but nobody's teaching them how to do it. And that's what I really think this conversation with Dr. John Deloney is going to be 
It's going to help us to tackle today. John has written a book about anxiety and a book about connection with other people and how that can help us to grow and to overcome trauma. So this is really good stuff. I can't wait to get into it. John, it is great to have you on the show. Should I call you doctor or is John okay? I No, my mom named me John. That's good, man. That's awesome. I'm, you, I'm grateful to be here, Josh. I'm really glad to have you because you've got two PhDs, correct? Yes, but two powerful, strong women, my mom and my wife, were Dr. Deloney before me. So it's kind of old hat by the time I they're like, yeah, sure. Figures the guy would come dragging his ideas around after we've already cleared the path for you. So, yeah, nobody really cares in my family. So it's just John's good. I love it. Very cool. Yeah, I've got a couple friends from high school that are, uh, you know, one's a podiatrist, one's an eye doctor, one's a dentist, and then the other one is... Um, you know, you know, they're, they're like medical doctors of different kinds, but I just all call them all doc. So I'm talking yes. about them. My wife's like, okay, which doc are you talking about? So. <laughs> and most of those are real docs. Like they actually heal and help people. I just run my mouth. So there's a, there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. Well, you run your mouth and you listen and yeah, yeah, I got you. No, it's, there's value to it though. It helps people. Yeah, so, that's right. well, that's actually what I've been pretty impressed with as I've been uh, kind of following you on the socials and uh, on other podcasts as well. Um, your perspective on things I think is much needed in this world today. I appreciate that, man. And uh, so why don't you tell me a little bit about kind of your background, how, what it is that you do to help people? Uh, uh, born and raised in Houston, Texas. And I uh, was the son of a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator. So um, I think I was raised with the understanding not even with the suggestion, but the understanding from a very early age that when something's on fire, you go in. You're, you have a responsibility to your community. You got a responsibility to help people. You go in. And I also, um, this is a strange thing to say, given the climate that we're in right now, but I was also absorbed the lesson that you train and you work hard and you learn how to use weapons, use, learn how to do all this stuff so that you never have to. Mm -hmm. And it was a, my dad was a hostage negotiator. So he didn't, wasn't on the team that went and kicked the doors. in. He was on the team that he walked up and would, someone was about to jump off a building and he'd sit down next to him and say, Hey man, how, how's it going? And he had a hundred percent, right? So when they could have you know, thrown ropes and done a bit, get a hundred percent. Hey, I'm gonna sit down now. Now that's not everybody and everything, but it was this keen lesson that you work hard and you train and you better know how to handle yourself. And the goal is to never have to do that. Right. And yeah. to create a world in a context. The other part is my mom, um, because of her, um, just the heritage that she comes from, she wasn't allowed to work. I mean, she wasn't allowed to go to college. I'm sorry. She was allowed to work, but she wasn't allowed to go to college because the sentiment was, uh, you, you women don't need to be educated she needs to stay at home and so my dad would push on that and, and over time she she gathered up the courage and the strength it was just incredible um and she ended up taking one community college class and then she took one more community college class and then one more and ultimately and, and that was at the age of 42 is when she started and she graduated with her phd at 57 and then she was a tenured professor by 63 and at 72 she just She's in Ghana in Africa right now, um, and she just rolled off being the department chair this year. So I tell you that to tell you, um, the two big lessons are always be ready and you go in. And second one is 
You can do anything at any time. It is never too late to completely change everything about your life. And those two stories really navigated my childhood and they navigated my professional life and my marriage and my kids. And um, even at, it, it, I think right around the age of 41, 42, I, uh, 41, yeah, I up and just took a left turn. I was a professor and an academic, a dean of students, so just a nerd, and uh, took a left turn in my life. And now we're talking about mental health and taking care of people across the, across the, uh, the country. In the, the manosphere, <laughs> you know, that we're in, a lot of guys don't like talking about mental health stuff. They don't like talking. To, it's almost like, like just man up and deal with it, you know? And, uh, and what, does that word, what does that phrase even mean, right? Well, it, exactly. Well, I, I, sometimes I'll say sack up because I think that's kind of funny. But yeah. <laughs> so I actually, I'm the kind of guy that I think words matter. And I like to like reframe and reclaim what words are supposed to mean. So when I say man up, I mean, step into and embrace your masculinity and gotcha. be a better man. So when I say it, I mean something different than, you know, what uh, other people say, which is often to imply that you're not a man if you have problems or you're not yeah. a man, if you have feelings and, yeah. you know, and I don't like that. I, I don't think that's appropriate. So, but well, it's just, it's just nonsense. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just not, I mean, it's, it's less than inappropriate. It's just, it's not real. It's not reality. It's like walking around saying that the sky is orange. It's just not, well, sometimes it is. Um, the, the sky <laughs> is not purple. Right. Um, it's just not. And so we, you can, we can come up with these cliches and these cool old sayings and things, but, they just they don't have broad applicability they're not consistent with science they're not consistent with faith they're not consistent with any any lens you want to wear they don't work right yeah you know i i i think about that a lot that you know we we have this pressure on men to ignore you know honestly even in my own life you know i mean i'm a i'm a gen xer you're also with me kind of on that tail end of the gen x you know and and i feel like you know so we're probably raised by uh by boomers you know, and uh, our experience with the world and with emotion is, you know, it's not the same as what some of these young people have to deal with. At the same time, you know, like our parents' generation was, you just don't talk about it. You, you're sad. Shut up. You know. <laughs> well, and I, I think, I've, I've thought a lot about this. Um, I think it was the ethos followed the lack of tools. And what I mean by that is, if you go back to the ancient warring cultures, uh, they had, and even the current existing warring cultures that exist, you know, in other parts of the world, they have very much a highly robust fighting spirit about who they are. Don't screw with us. We train for this stuff. And they have a very robust healing season on the back end of war and a healing season on the back end that includes physical touch and that includes mm -hmm. dance and moving your body and includes singing and includes um sharing your stories and what happened and we create big elaborate um shows and productions all of that is part of the healing thing and so i think we had a relatively and if you look at the over the arc of history the, the united states we're very young we're just young and roll back a hundred years ago to world war one world war two we did not yet have in place not the warring part. We had that. We're a, we're a very, we'll go, it's, you mess with us, we'll come get you culture. But we did not have the other side, which is we don't know how to heal. And so we just healed with the tools we had, which was busyness and accomplishment and achievement and building buildings. And I, my life is better because of that. Mm 
And also, man, that left a wake of people who died of heart attacks and cancers and strokes and whatever. And more importantly, alcohol, that's right. Mm -hmm. They gave birth to a generation of people who did not have a picture. They were raised by parents who lived in trauma and they did not have a picture of what wellness looks like. And those were our parents, right? And who were great people who just found themselves electricians without the right tools to do electricity. And a lot of them got electrocuted. And so it's our responsibility to say, okay, sometimes the world goes sideways and there's got to be a group of people, all of us, that can step in that gap. And that is not all the time. That's not 24-7, 365. So chill out and, and turn the podcast off. And not this one, by the way. Keep this in <laughs> Um, Turn off YouTube, right? I mean, yeah. And the other side of that is if you do experience something, if you do go through a hard season, you have to, on the back end of that, have a healing season that includes connection, that includes vulnerability, includes telling other men, hey, I'm not okay, or I'm struggling, or I'm not being a good husband, or I'm not present with my kids right now. Um, or there's things on the news that I just can't wrap my head around. I don't understand. And I'm kind of freaked out by it. Can we go get a, get a drink and hang out? Right. So that I'm going to, I'm going to put that on the table. That's a part of a healing season that comes on the back of having to do hard stuff. Man. Yeah. And I think that for whatever reason, it's, it's difficult for a lot of people to embrace and understand. And there's gotta be a balance to it. Like you said, it's not all the time. Like there's just not a picture of, I, I think we don't have a map. I don't think we, I think we've got a bunch of tools in a toolkit. We just never seen anybody use a wrench or a hammer or a screwdriver. We don't know what, we don't know what it looks like. We know Brene Brown given us, gave my wife a picture. Right. Um, and, but there's not a picture of here's what it, being well looks like as, as, mm-hmm. And it, Brene's actually had to lean over into the male space and she's become right. So I'm, it, there's just not a lot of voices not a lot of pictures that says that looks like me and I can do that. Right. I agree. I agree. That's kind of why we're doing what we're doing here. And I know yeah, I love it, man. You, and, and I know your audience is also, uh, I mean, it's not just men, it's men and women, but I think that men are drawn to you because you can balance the sensitivity to feelings and emotions with the, the toughness as well. And I think we need both. I think that's, that's, right. that's part of what we need, especially men. I mean, women are tough too. It's just a different kind of tough. And I think, and some people can say I'm crazy about this, but I think women tend to be more, and I know it's stereotype, you know, a stereotype, but women tend to be more able to talk about what they're feeling than men do. I think that they've, um, there's a socialization that suggests that you need to keep your mouth shut and you need to go talk about it. And um, yeah, that definitely tracks down the road. And there's, there's inverse socializations that are damaging. Right. But that's one that, yeah, there's just a, like um, when my son bangs his head at school, the tendency is to say, Hey, suck it up. And when my daughter bangs her head at school, the tendency is to wrap your arms around her. Right. And so that's just a generalization. It's not to say that, um, I want, I want someone to comfort my daughter when she bangs her head, but I also want someone to comfort my son too, because his, yeah. his, his head hurts also. Right. So I, I know when I was raising my kids uh, and there, I've got one left, she's 17. I had four kids and uh, the rest are all grown. I didn't always get it right. I tried to teach, especially when, oh my goodness, man, when they were little, it was like something happens, they cry for an hour, you know? <laughs> and I'd be mm-hmm. like, like, it's always okay to cry, son. It's not okay to scream your head off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was hard for them to understand. I think they're getting it. I don't know if I got it right or not, but at least they cry quietly now. So, 
Well, I think I think there's something super important. I'm, and I've got a 12 year old and a six year old and I've got 20 years of working with young people. I, I think the. It's both and right, it's like this, right. that's that's kind of the, the mantra I have in my head, which is I'm trying to create a new third way because it's not all the way over here and it's not all the way over here. And it's both and and we got to run up the middle and we got to stop just doing stuff that doesn't work. Um, but it's dude, you have to, I don't care who you are. You have to process your feelings. You've got to own them. I feel sad about, I am hurt by, I'm scared by, I feel rejected by, you got to own that. And so that's one, right? And then the other side of that is, then I have to be responsible for the actions that come next. I get a choice in that. And so, man, if you smash your head, cry your little heart out. And then go be about getting some ice for your head. Don't just stand in the middle of the, right? Or come over here and let me hold you. Or I'm coming to you to hold you, right? So be about what the healing is going to look like. And so I think it's, I think it's very much both hand. And unfortunately, it's not a common message that's, that's, that's being spun out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you, one of the things I saw um, on, on one of your social platforms here recently is uh, the idea of asking for what you need, because when you talk about, uh, you know, I'm picturing, you know, if we take that metaphor, right, of a kid hits his head and he needs somebody to hold him and comfort him, you know, um, so I'm an adult going through life, having some emotional issues. Like, how does that translate to, to my life where I'm at? Um, I think in my head, most of the social media posts are notes to myself and <laughs> mine too. I get you. <laughs> they're notes to me. And, and I think when that one just popped into my head. Um, I had been telling, I had been hinting about some things to my wife and I'm terrible at hinting and she's brilliant. And she's also very, very busy. And I found myself getting frustrated that she wasn't doing things that I had never told her I needed. And the statement to myself was, Hey, ding idiot, just say what you need. And it was embarrassing to me that it took me until I was 39 years old to sit down. And this was when my marriage was fraying, right? To sit down and tell my wife, I have been chasing for 20 years. You to say the words, I'm proud of you. And it's embarrassing for me to say that. I wish I didn't need that. I do. I do. And she got teary eyed and said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to tell me how I can love you better. Mm. And I've been trying to figure it out all along. And that was a shape shifter for me. And again, I've been married for like 16 years or something at that time or 14. I don't know. We've been married a long time. And now when I get home off from a book tour, I get off a stage and it goes well, she'll say, hey, I'm really proud of you. you did, I know you worked hard. You did a good job on that. And I'll roll my eyes a little bit because I'm like, oh, you're just saying that. because." But she is proud of me. She just didn't know. No one had ever told her that a guy wants to hear that or that I wanted to hear that. And that's just, that's just me. I've got other guys, friends of mine that when they get home man, it means the world to them, if their wife will come just say, Hey, I miss you today. Or will you send me a text in the middle of the day? If you think of me and like, Oh God, I don't want to bother you. Right. So all I'd say is men and women, boys and girls, dude, just say what you need, say what you need, say what you need at work, say what you need at, in your counseling session, say what you need at, on the battlefield or when you're in a fist fight, say what you need and let people rise up and help you. We have a culture who we're just walking around complaining about everything. We just complain and complain and nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. 
But man, we're not asking for direct needs right now. And my life, when the people around me say, hey, I need this, man, people show up. People will show up. So give people the opportunity to show up and just start speaking your needs out loud. Yeah. And I think that the more that you do that, the more that you are aware of what you need, because sometimes you don't know. That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) You you talk about when you get home from work and what you need is sometimes like, okay, when I get home from work, I need you to leave me alone for like 10 minutes. (laughs) Yes. But hey, here's here's what's here's what's super important. So uh, I love that you said that there are days. So number one, my wife and I start every single day, 100 percent of them with this phrase. What is today? What's the picture of today look like for you? What does today look like for you? What do you need today? And some days I can look at my schedule and know I've got five hours on the radio and I've got two hours here and I got to write a talk here and I'm doing a webinar here and I will need 15 minutes when I get home. And she's like, gotcha. For 20 years or for 15 years before those conversations, I would show up desperately needing 15 minutes and my son would come running to the door. Dad, ah, and I'd walk in and my wife would say, hey, dude, I asked you to take the trash. You left it this morning. Go get it. And I would just lose it. Right. I would turn around and walk out the door and my family doesn't know me. They don't love me because I never told anybody. <laughs> and so now we've established a rhythm, not a rhythm, just a way of life. It's just a rule of life. Um, I'm going to ask her, what does today look like for you? What are you going to need today? And she's got the right to text me at three o'clock and say, Hey, I said, I wanted a quiet night at home. Forget that. I'm not cooking anything. We're going out. Meet me at such and such. Right. So it's just about communicating with each other, what we need. Yeah. I think um, the other part of that is like, like we said too, like take the time to figure out what you need, because I think a lot of the guys that I know are in that spot, man, they don't even know. Yes. They've gotten so far you know, over that cliff of, of, of where they're at, that, that they don't even have a, a starting reference for what it is they need. And, and that's why I like, you know, I like that you talk about almost like a routine between the two of you, like take the time to actually think about what are you, what are you doing today? What does tomorrow can, look like? Or your week, you know, can I tell you this um, a, a lot, not a lot, I would say in the 90 percentile of men that I work with, one of the most common things I hear is a sense of shame or anger or frustration when somebody, when they try to meet somebody's needs without asking what that person actually needs. So they show up with flowers and their spouse is like, I thank you, but I don't need flowers. I need you to get here on time. And you're 40 minutes late. I was buying you flowers. <laughs> I needed you here on time. Um, yeah. Or, Hey, tonight we're going to have super sexy night. Right? <sighs> what would really be helpful for me is if right fill in the blank. So it's guys not trying to be Casanova and figure everything out, but do the ultimate romantic thing and create a space, not in the heat of them, not at eight o'clock at night. that's too late. Create a space every week, create a space every day, create a space every month where you can say, okay, where are we? How are we doing? And what can I do to help you um, to, to help meet your needs? so that you can help me meet my needs. And we're going to just keep that the infinity circle. It's just going to roll and roll and roll, but stop getting your feelings hurt. If you show up with flowers, not she needs, she needs you to take the trash out or don't get your feelings hurt. If you were like, Oh, I know what's going to make her night. Great, sexy time. And she's like, you know what really great make my night. Awesome. You to go sleep upstairs. So I can go to bed at eight o'clock. Cause I don't want to watch <laughs> your stupid shows. 
Don't get your feelings hurt. Say, great. I have an opportunity to love my wife, right? And spread out a little bit on the upstairs bed, whatever it is, right? But ask other people what they need too. Tell me about these, these books that you've got out. I, uh, I see one on the shelf behind you there. I think that's your latest one, right? Yeah. Uh, I got two. One was, uh, was just like 60 or 80 pages. It was just a quick pamphlet and ended up making the bestseller list that shocked us all uh, big time. And um, geez Louise, man, it's just kind of taken off on its own. And it was just a book. Uh, me and my friend Dave Ramsey, we were on the radio together and somebody called and another person called and another person called. They kept calling about anxiety. Mm-hmm. And finally I said, hey, anxiety is not the problem. Anxiety is just an alarm system letting you know that that you're probably disconnected or your body is sensing something that it's scared of, or you are not in control of tomorrow, right? Your body doesn't have autonomy in decision-making. And if you owe somebody money, I don't care what kind of mathematical gymnastics you've done. Your body knows that if you don't go to work tomorrow, your house goes away. You will starve to death. You will be out in the street. That's the way our bodies, they overreact, right? It wants to keep us alive. And so I don't care what you plan you've come up with with your bitcoin and your online gambling if you owe somebody money your body knows we're not safe we're not we're just not safe and it will run a little bit hotter and you'll sleep a little bit less deeply and your relationships will be a little bit tinged with electricity because your body knows you're not safe we're not okay we're not okay we're not okay we're not okay if your body if you wake up and you um your body recognizes you're lonely you're alone. Well, I got my bros. You haven't been with those dudes in 10 years, right? The reason guys get together when they're 40 and still tell the old high school football stories is because that's the last time most of us were a part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm. That was the last time we had a gang and a common mission. And then we just go get our jobs and it's just me versus you all the way up through the job. Then we move out to the suburbs or into our loft because we think we're hip or out to the woods like I did because I think I'm some sort of poser prep or whatever and you know what i mean and the whole time our body's going hey we're alone we're alone we're alone we're not safe 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 and so anxiety is not the problem and it's like it's like uh, your smoke alarm in your kitchen going off mm-hmm. and you climb up and take the batteries out thinking you've solved the problem that's that wasn't the problem the noise in the problem the, the problem is something's on fire and so uh that was the first book and um really it's just become a quick little hand guide for folks to how do you what is anxiety what is it not and then how do you work through it? And um, pretty simple, straightforward. One of the things I learned working in higher ed was, um, man, some of the most extraordinary people, brilliant minds. I mean, w- great people trying to solve big, hard problems. Um, and I found that after doing that for 20 years, I was talking over people. I was talking past people. I was not communicating a way that people could be heard. And so one of the greatest things since transitioning to this new job is how can I say something in a, in a way that can be heard and understood and someone can actually go take this and go make their life better today. And um, so that's that. That's the book about anxiety. Then the new one is, uh, is a full-length book that was great. I mean, number one on the bestseller. It was awesome and it's doing great. And it's just called Own Your Past, Change Your Future. And really the, the, the premise is kind of like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been given two paths forward. One is you will always be the worst thing that ever happened. or the worst thing you've ever done, full stop. If you're a victim of something, if you're a survivor of something, that's all you will ever be. Somebody broke you, cancer broke you, the abuser broke you, you are dysfunctional and you have no power anymore. If you're the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood, your parents grew up with in poverty cycle, like whoever, 
you are broken and somebody's got to come in here and rescue you because you will always be less than. That's narrative number one. Narrative number two is hitting the pendulum all the way to the other side way too far, which is if you have a feeling you are weak and you're a coward, suck it up, get over yourself and go make the world like go bend it to your will. Right. And so this book is really not uh, calling nonsense on both of those. Just call it bull crap. And this is a new third way, which is, yes, you have to own what happened to you. You have to own it. It happened. And there's a period at the end of the sentence. You were abused. Your mom passed away. Your dad left. Somebody treated you wrong for something as insane as your skin color, right? Whatever the thing is, you got to own that. And then you've got to ask yourself the one terrifying question that very few of us ever ask, which is, what am I going to go do now? And this is about how am I going to change my family tree? How am I going to adjust this legacy? What is the hard, hard work I got to do um, to make sure that the people who come after me, whether it's in my neighborhood or my community or my kids, um, that their life is better because of the work I put in to get well. And so it's both in there. Do you have any experiences like that in your own life? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Would you, so. be, willing, would you be willing to share any of those? Um, there's some stories that I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll never talk about publicly. Um, okay just know that they're there. The, probably the best, the best. Um, so I spent um, as as my dean of students role um, for the last I don't know, 16, 17 years. My job was a ringside seat in sitting next to people who been sexually assaulted, who had been, who's. I was the guy that made the phone call to let parents know that their kid had passed away or that their kid was in the psych ward, or I was the one who walked the kids to the psych ward or visit them in the hospital, et cetera. So, um, and then I ended up partnering with police for several years, joined a, um, a, a unit of the police department that was just after hours. I was the dean of students at a law school during the day. And then I was running around with police officers at night. And uh, my, my partners, it was a victim services unit. So we would do crisis response and we'd show up when someone's child had died or when, uh, we, in fact, I just got a text message. It just said 1087, which is the police code for a dead body and uh, 1087. And here's an address. And we'd show up and it could be a 90 year old man who died of just old age and sleep. And his widow was there and we we're going to walk her through. Here's what's about to happen with the medical examiner. Or we could show up to a scene where um, like a mess, right? Absolute. Mm-hmm mess 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 in in the most graphic ways you can imagine um and so i have a i just spent my whole career working in the messy lives of other people's trauma um and i've had my own friends pass away i've had my students take their lives i've had all kinds of of walking through stuff and um you know cleaning body i mean just a mess um and so yeah i just i've lived it walked it been there and the question is, what comes next, right? Out of this ash, this darkness, this this season of night, um, what comes next? And I think the beautiful thing of the human spirit is what's what is able to happen on the other side of of these of these um, insane tragedies, and um, the strength and resilience and unbelievable community. Um, support people have in the middle in the midst of some madness and also quite honestly if i'm being telling the truth all the way through the absolute spiral and despair that can come on the other side of it if um someone does goes through those tragedies alone or they make the choice over time to not lean into to healing and people make that choice for a number of different reasons yeah 
Yeah. A lot of people that I know that are in that first responder kind of community, a lot of times, well, not just that, but especially that, you know, they'll get hard, you know, right. and they'll, they'll build up that shell. And then what happens is on the inside, they're rotten. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and then, that's another community who, I, I mean, I love near and dear. That's my, I mean, I'm not a uh, police, I'm not a peace officer, but that's my people. Like that's my mm-hmm. heart. That's my dad. That's my friends. That's, and um, it's a community that does not allow for vulnerability at all. And I think it's to the detriment of the folks working in, in that, in the, in that, in that line of work. So that word vulnerability, it's one of those words that it's another one that in the manosphere, I think a lot of us get uncomfortable with. I, I'm not a fan of the word. I recognize that we need it, yeah. but I, um, my wife and I have been having a lot of, uh, <laughs> she'll say, you need to be more vulnerable. And I'm like, I'll be vulnerable with you. I, you know, I don't want to be vulnerable. <laughs> you know, it's like when my dog rolls over, you know, so you can pet his belly, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, but he's not going to do that to another dog. That's going to take his life, you know? Mm. I mean, and so, so I think we can get guarded when there are times when we need to be on guard and there are times when you need to be, you know, show your belly, you know, that's right. And I, here, here's two important things about that. Number one is when our body recognizes that we're lonely and for men, we often say, well, I'm married. And I just tell her, she's my friend, my best friend. She's great. Or I hear men say all the time, no, my son, he's 17. He's my best friend, man. The number of high performing men leaders that I know who have absolutely melted their spouse with all of their mess and their junk is I can't count them. Mm-hmm. Kids have absolutely none, zero, not until they're 25. That's my number. They cannot be your friends. They can't carry the weight of an adult friendship and they need to be, they, they need a dad, right? They need um, an important role model in their life. They don't need another buddy. Right. And um, you, so when a, when a person's brain recognizes that it's alone, that we don't have a group of men that come over to our house and hang out, that we prop our feet up, that we could call in the middle of the night if our wife got real, real sick. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, your brain begins to see threats everywhere because it's the same brain that was in our heads 10,000 or 5,000 years ago on the plains of Nebraska that we woke up and our tribe had left us. It has to assume that every snapping twig in the in the in the in the woods is a bear because if they're wrong, we're dead. Or or and somebody else's tribe. <laughs> that's right. And ninety nine percent of the time, that twig was a frog or a mouse or a squirrel. And so right now we're in a season where men are pathologically lonely. We are lonelying ourselves to death. And if you look at the diseases of despair, and this is just out of the the medical literature. It's bananas. We got nobody. We got nobody. And our bodies are eating themselves from the inside out. And we end up going for one more drink, one more drink, one more video game, one more Netflix, or one more um, uh, pornographic website, or one more person that we're texting at the office that we should not be texting at the office, right? So we end up in these loops just trying to shut those alarms down I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. But here's the key. We're seeing threats everywhere. And they don't exist. They're not real. And then here's the second thing. We have a media ecosystem that is designed to keep us in fight or flight. When you're in fight or flight, you stay glued to it and you buy stuff. You try to solve it. I need some more stuff so that, right? You need more of this, more of that. Um, And so all I have to say is 
the perceived threat for most of us is not real. And so we're walking around flexing a lot. Um, and dude, I'm a 200 pounds, six foot two male from Texas, right? Uh, I get it, right? I trained mixed martial arts for a long time and I love hunting. I, I get it. I'm that, I, I get it. And I have to create space and not the picture you have vulnerability rolling over. Yeah, that the root word is I am making myself available to be killed, right? That's the word in the wild. Here's what that looks like. It looks like the other day, a buddy of, of ours, there's four or five of us on a text thread. He just reached out and said, every time we get together and watch the fights on my way home at one in the morning, I think, man, I miss those guys. We should do that more. And so we're going to do that more. Can everybody get together on Wednesday night for beers and nachos at this place? And we're going to throw darts. That was it. And dude, I would trade bank accounts with this dude right now. Right? <laughs> very successful, very wealthy, awesome guy who just said, I, I, I need to be around you guys. I want to hang out. And that's vulnerable because what we could all been in, could have responded. Oh, are you kidding me, dude? Oh, and every single person was like, Oh, thank God. Somebody said it. Finally. I mean, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. they're I'm all in. thinking it. <laughs> oh, everybody's thinking nobody say it. That's yeah. vulnerability. Vulnerability is telling your wife, Hey, I miss you. Vulnerability is, Hey, we haven't slept together, but two times in the past three months. And I know I'm coming in and exhausted and I'm not taking care of myself. I'm worried about us. Uh, can we talk about that? Vulnerability is sitting down with your son and saying, hey, I didn't respond to that well last night. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I screwed up. Um, can I have another go with that? Be forgiving. And that's that's because your son could look at you and go, no, dad, I'll never forgive you. By the way, he's 14. He will. But um, it's that's vulnerability, man. It's not this big, grandiose, like, ah! it's just saying, hey, I need to do this better, or I'm sorry, or here's how I feel right now. Yeah, it, it's being hum humble and open, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, but uh, had that conversation, I think it was with Mickler recently. Like, it's, it's humility, right? It's me taking a knee. And man, if, if, you, can, if you can live that life, the, the life is so much gentler. Um, a few weeks ago, I was with... Um, at an event in Florida with Jocko, right? The super <laughs> alpha male for America, right? right. America, right? Um, one of my favorite stories that he tells is somebody called and asked, hey, uh, like somebody stepped up to me and my wife and my kids on the street and I'd have defend her honor and whatever. What would you do? And his response was phenomenal. He said, first, uh, if I saw somebody coming to step to me in the street, um, he said in classic Jocko fashion, uh, there's a handful of men on the planet that could defeat me in hand-to-hand -hand combat and they all do it for a living. And I was like, what a great <laughs> sentence. What a great sentence. And he said, and I have nothing to prove. And so I would grab my wife's hand and my kids and we'd walk across the street and I would tell that guy, hey, let me buy you a beer. You're clearly having a, different, a worse day than me and uh, I'm gonna go about my day. And the response was, well, what about your honor? And here's the quote. If I wait until a confrontation to show my wife that I honor her, I have failed her. I honor my wife every day and how I talk to her and how I show up. And so it's this idea that I work really hard. Like the original thing we talked about earlier with my dad, you work really hard and you train and you know, so that I don't have to carry this burden with me all the time. Just walk around flexing all the time. I could just walk through life with peace with flip-flops on right i don't wear flip-flops because my feet are gross but you can walk through life with my shoulders down for crying out loud you know what i mean yeah definitely 
Yeah. And you're I, making uh, me go to church here, dude. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's awesome. I, because- I just see so many of my f- people who I love the men in my life are just, they're falling apart, man. And the, when they fall apart, the families fall apart. And when the families mm-hmm. fall apart, our, our communities fall apart, man. I'm just so passionate about loving men, dude, and wanting them to, to get some peace in their life. That's I can understand that 100%. That's the kind of thing that I, I say it's what gets me up in the morning because, you know, I, I, I look at my life and I look at the investment that other men have made into me. You know, right. my, my dad poured into my life and taught me what it meant to be a man and set a, an amazing example. And so many men over the years have have shown me what it means to be a man. And I'm like, I'm not saying I'm a perfect man. I get stuff wrong every day, you know, but I I keep running into these people, you know, especially, you know, young people who just, they just need a friend to point it out, to yeah. set the, set an example. So that's kind of why I do what I do. So I get it. it. It fuels you, you know, I love it. Yeah. Purpose. Yeah. So um, you were talking about anxiety. Let's, let's hit that a little bit. We've kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those things that I think a lot of people don't understand. They think I have anxiety, so I have to just take a pill for the rest of my life. Mm. It's a chemical imbalance. And that some of that is, could be true. You know, you may have a chemical imbalance and you may need a medicine to help you treat those symptoms, but you know, we, what, how does this all work? What, you know, how, how do we, how do we get to the place where we can, put it past us or, or, you know, like in your, your, your other books illustration, right? How do we, how do we make that the, the period at the end of the sentence? So I, I think it's, it's important to just to step back and look at the biology, right? So our brain's made up of, and I'm being super crude here, but three big chunks, right? The midbrain and the forebrain and the, the, they call it the lizard brain. And the forebrain is the, the big front part, right? The cortex, the neocortex, all that. And that's basically where we get our thinking about thinking, the metacognition. We're thinking about tomorrow, our planning, our, is this a good idea or not a good idea, right? Um, the part, no, the amygdala part is the part that just keeps us alive. The part that is always scanning the environment 24-7, 365, where are we safe? Do we got other people around? And um, are we in control of what happens tomorrow? And I'm oversimplifying it for a read, but that's basically it. And Here's the challenge. Those two parts of our body don't always work together. Here's what I mean by that. We will see a picture of somebody who's the president of a company and they make $300,000 a year. And we think, I want that. So I'm going to go get that degree. I'm going to get those suits. I'm going to try to get that car, even though I don't make that kind of money. I am going to put myself in a position to appear like that. And along the way, we're making decisions like taking out a car loan we can't afford, um, buying suits that instead of exercising, and we end, or I'm going to work 20 hours a day for the next five years so I can prove to these guys that I'm worth them in, investing in me. And your body's saying, hey, you got to sleep, man. A hundred percent of the psychiatric illnesses um, have disordered sleep as one of the characteristics. I mean, you've got to sleep. Um, you got to not fill your body with trash. You got to exercise and move your body. You've got to have intimacy in your life. And so your, your brain that is scanning the environment for threats knows, hey, whoa, 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 we're not safe. We are not okay. We are not okay. We are not okay. We are not okay. And it begins to raise the temperature a little bit in the room, 
right? And that forebrain, though, it is going and going and going. It is charging along, and then it gets its steady feed of uh, social media, like encouragement, crush it, and dominate. And eventually, your body says, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. And I'm out can look any number of ways. Um, and yes, there's genetic components. So things like ADHD, it's like, it's a genetic disease. It's super not. And it kind of is. That's like saying um, fire is an oxygen issue. Kind of, <laughs> but not, but you know what I mean? It's kind of like that. If you get the right, the mix of gases in a room, it will ignite. And so if you happen to have a body that's got a tendency that leans that way genetically and you put it in the right environment and the switches, the right order of switches get flipped on, it's going to respond that way. Right. So all that to say is this, I, for the most part, look at anxiety as man, if you will go put the fires out in your life, the alarm system generally works pretty dang well and it will stop ringing off the hook. Um, there was a season that I had to go, my, we've all been in that hotel room, you know, when the, we steam the shower up cause it's not our house. And then it sets off the smoke detector. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was my anxiety alarm. Like I let it run for so many years for so long. I took Ambien for like eight years and I never slept, which made me unconscious, but not asleep. So I didn't sleep for years. I was going to work all day and then I was training mixed martial arts at night. And then I was trying to get another graduate degree. I was just running. I never stopped. And I was in the hospitals all the night, all the time dealing with student trauma. And so my body finally said, Hey, uh, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. And so when I began to deal with the body and I began to deal with my past and my trauma, I tell you right now, man, I got zero, none none no i don't have i don't struggle with anxiety at all not even a little bit but i work so hard upstream to make sure i get sleep make sure my relationships are solid to make sure i'm exercising and eating right making sure that my work is not my uh dude i want ambitious people in the world i want to i'm super ambitious myself i want to do well and i want to make great money and i want to help a lot of people but that, that's not going to make me whole what makes me whole is my wife and my kids and my faith and my close close friends and my family does and my community being well, that stuff makes me whole. The work stuff is just awesome, right? It's something to drive into. And so you get what I'm saying? If mm -hmm. we will take care of our lives, so going back to the original analogy, not everybody's cut out to be a president. We're not. And that's not a cool American thing to say. You can do it all. Some of us can't. We can't. Or you can be a president of this, but not that. Or maybe you are going to be the greatest vice president ever. Or maybe your job will never be on stage. That's not your thing. It takes energy from your body. But it would be really great if you help people on stage, right? So whatever it is, and then your body goes, there we go. And we judge each other and we fight. I want this. Man, get in sync with who you are, man. And whew, that thing you said, purpose earlier, find purpose, man. And go after it. And don't forget to take care of yourself. And do most of these alarms most of the time. Will take care of themselves. Oh, back to, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. I did take anxiety medicine for a season because my alarm was just broken. It was busted and medicine didn't fix me. What medicine does is it turns the alarm down enough so that I could go talk to a counselor so that I could sit with um, a coach that would walk me through. So I could go regularly show up to the weight room with my friend Slade and regularly show up for my lunch meetings with my friend Randy and Slade. So I could go have a different life. Right. And so it was a, it was a season 
And then over time, the alarms begin to shut down. But they were ringing so loud for me, dude, I couldn't even hear a therapist. I couldn't hear any wisdom. Yeah. I couldn't hear a friend or a mentor. Yeah, I, I think that helps, a, man. Hope no, that that's helps. a great perspective. And I'm, I'm, I think it'll help our listeners a lot that, that are going through that and struggling with it. I, uh, I can think of a couple of guys I've talked to recently where they're going to be like, yeah, that's exactly what I need. The big so, ones that I that are oh, the big ones in our communities that are go unnoticed are sitting down, write, write down on a piece of paper, smallest to largest, every single person you owe money to. Hmm. Everyone. Sit down and write down on a piece of paper. How many friends do I have? Not all high school buddies. How many friends do I have that within an hour could be at my house to help me in an emergency? Write down on a piece of paper. What is my, how, when is the last time my wife and I were intimate? What is, uh, what does our intimate life look like? How are we doing? And sex isn't everything, but it can often be a barometer in marriages to say, Hey, where are we? Are we connected or disconnected? Where are you in your closest relationships? Those are two or three of the things that I hear most common. Like, I'm just so anxious. I'm just so anxious. And I have a million dollar mortgage I took out and I have five car notes and whatever, but other than that, I'm cool, man. Well, dude, that's a body that is screaming. We're not okay. We're not okay. We're not okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, in terms of resources, if you need help with that too, like I know that you're part of the Ramsey organization, Dave Ramsey, and and that would yeah, yeah. be a, a great place to, to get yeah. plugged in. If you, if debt is part of that issue for you, get plugged in with that, man. Yeah. Um, so I like to ask a few questions cause I know we're kind of heading towards the end of our, our time here. And I don't want to keep you longer than you can be. So, uh, I like to ask these questions of all my guests and I've had some pretty cool answers over the, over the course of the, the podcast. The first one is this, John, what, what is a man? What does it mean to be a man? I'm going to take this definition. Um, I think the number one most important book that every man should read is uh, called, I don't want to talk about it by Terrence real R E A L. Um, it's the most important book outside of my faith context that I've, I've read. Um, in that book, he's trying to get to that question. Um, the, the, the subtitle is The Secret Legacy of Male Depression, which I think is the worst subtitle ever because that assures that men will never read that book, myself included, right? I don't want to read it. Um, but in the book, he talks about going over to Africa and talking with a warring tribe and asks them the question. Because the, the, the men in this community were very, very physically affectionate with their boys, with the young men and the little boys. Lots of hugging, kissing, holding hands, lots of touching. And it didn't jive with his Western understanding of masculinity, which is stoicism, isolation, stand up tall, don't touch me, that kind of thing. And they asked them, this tribe, what's, what is the definition of manhood? And over a course, and I'm, I'm, I'm distilling it all down, but it was essentially, we love deeply and we are very um, in touch with our physical touch and our emotional needs and our physical needs. And we are not too, we know that children need touch and children need presence and children need attention and children need love. And also we can kill all of you. And here was the magic, the definition of manhood. What makes a good man is a man that knows the difference. And that was powerful for me. So when I, you asked me like, and and I bring it to my current life now, do I know how to take care of myself? Yes. Do I know how to be an asset in my community? 
in the very unlikely, very, 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 I don't care what conspiracy theories you buy into, unlikely situation that Russia invades us like Ukraine. Could I be an asset to my community? Yes. And my 12-year-old son is humongous. He's a huge kid. And I still hug him every single morning. And I put my hands on my face. And I put my forehead on his forehead. And I look him in the eye and say, I love you. I'm so glad I get to be your dad. And my daughter is six years old. And she's a human hurricane. And when I can wrangle her, I let her know every single day of her life. I'm so glad I get to be your dad. I'm so glad that of all the people in the world, God picked me to be your dad. And this house doesn't work without you. And I'm so glad you're in it. And I hug my kids and I kiss my kids and I let them know every day that I love them. And it's both and right. And I've learned, I don't go to war. I go to war with very, very few things. I grab my wife's hand and my kid's hand and we walk to the other side. And by the way, uh, I also can say the words I'm wrong. Uh, that's also another thing of manhood. There you go. That's my definition. That's very good. Awesome. Uh, next question is this. If you were to run into the 10 year old version of John, little Johnny, and he walks into the room and you get the opportunity to speak into his life with everything that you know now, what's that going to be? Oh, man. I would hug that kid and put my bare hand on the back of his bare neck and I would hug him for about 30 seconds. And after about two seconds, he'd say, all right, man. And I would, wouldn't let, I'd tell him I'm not going to let go for a second until his shoulders drop. And then I'd whisper into his ear, it's not your fault. And whisper into his ear, you're loved and you're worth being loved and your folks are good and you're safe. Hmm. And then I would keep holding him for a minute. Awesome. And the next question is this, the guys that are listening to the podcast today, what is your best advice for them? Can I give you like 30 things? I'm just kidding. You can give me as many as you want. <laughs> um, number one, you got to have friends. Choosing to not have friends, not buddies and not long text changed, but real people that you get in contact with on a regular basis in real life. Um, choosing not to do that is choosing to die early. And when you die early of loneliness, you take everybody down with you. Your kids and your spouse have to deal with the aftermath. That's number one. You got to have other people in your life. Um, the second thing is stop trying to carry the whole world on your shoulders. Quit. Quit. Because you're burying yourself and you're burying your family with it. Number three, dude, chill out. Turn the TV off. Turn the news off and laugh some. You voted. You voted a couple of years ago. Whether you think you won or you think you lost, you voted. It'll come again in a couple of months. Chill out. No amount of rage or anger is going to drop the gas prices. There's just not. No amount of flexing and posting and thumbs downing. No amount of doing that is going to fix anything in your life. Nothing. Go serve your local community. Go get involved in something. Get with your kids and y'all go for a walk in the evenings and pick up trash in your neighborhood. Just go do something that is contributing. But turn the volume down on the noise, man. Um, and then the fourth thing I would say is if you're married, get connected, get reconnected with your spouse. Um, what I've heard over and over from all different kinds of relationships all over the country is the past two and a half years, everybody became great co-managers of their household. They became great um, partners. 
and they are good at um, working from home and making sure the trash is out in the yard is done and they have lost intimacy. And that's a, that's not a good place to be for a marriage. It's not a good place to be for um, the human body. And it's not a good place for our society for having a series of strong families. And so have enough courage to go have a half day retreat with your spouse. You'll go somewhere, go for a full day and just say, Hey, here's where we are. (laughs) We get to choose to build what tomorrow looks like. We don't have to just keep taking it. So what kind of world do we want to have tomorrow? Let's go make that happen. And um, so that's it. Hey, that's excellent advice. I, uh, I'm going to play this back later (laughs) and listen to it on repeat. So, uh, so if the guys want to get connected with you, uh, with the work that you're doing, if they want to check out your books, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can go johndeloney.com, D-E-L-O-N-Y, or you can follow me on the internet at John Deloney. I'm not super great at social media. I'm still trying to figure it all out. Um, I didn't have it before I took this job. I just never had it. So I'm still, I think you can check out my site. It's kind of wonky, but I, I, right. I'm trying to figure it out. That's all right. Well, they can get plugged in with you, connect you, send you messages if they've got questions. And That's right. Anytime, and, man. And hey, awesome. I'll t- I just want to, I'm grateful for your hospitality, man. And thank you for equipping men out there to look at the world that we have inherited and that we've helped create and to say, Hey, we get to choose what tomorrow looks like. Let's go make this thing better. And um, better almost always starts with fewer words and more action. I'm grateful for you um, teaching men how to go do different things. It's awesome. Well, like I said, I'm grateful for you as well. I appreciate the work that you're doing. And if we, anything we can do to help you get the word out, I'm all about it. So maybe we'll have you on again sometime awesome. and, Talk about Anytime, your next man. book when it comes out, right? <laughs> I need to take a break, right? Now. That, <laughs> that wears me out, man. But hey, That's I'm grateful right. for you so, so much. Appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Dr. John Deloney, it has been great to have you on the Manlyhood Mancast. Thank you again. Listen, if you are interested in the work that John is doing, make sure you check out the show notes or the description on YouTube and click the links there because they'll take you to his books. They'll take you to his his website and his show and you can see the work that he's doing. I guarantee you, if you want to get deeper, or if you want to ask questions, he's got the team to help you do it and uh, he's doing some great stuff. So thanks again to John. Uh, if you guys are appreciating what you're seeing here at Manlyhood, please leave us a rating and review. Share this episode with somebody else. Don't forget to sign up for more information at the Arrows and Iron Brotherhood, manlyhood.com slash brotherhood. Uh, And also, if you want some beard oil, we've got some available. We've got a limited run bottles. This is a test to see how this does. If it does well, we're going to keep doing this and keep it in stock. So I want you to check it out. It's by Hemp Mafia, but it's available in our store at manlyhood.com slash store. So make sure you check it out. Anyway, you guys, I am so glad that you tuned in today. There is lots more amazing interviews coming. Thank you for supporting what we're doing here at Manlyhood. I love you. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. Cast.